It's time to eat. Get in my belly! Sit down and get ready to consume an abundance of fantasy football knowledge from Ross Tucker and Evan Silva. Me so hungry. On the Fantasy Feast Eaten Podcast. Yeah, let's eat, baby. It is the Fantasy Feast Eaten Podcast heading into the greatest weekend in pro football, the divisional round. Love it. Four games, the eight best teams. Should be amazing. We are presented by betonline.ag, your online sports book experts. Just make sure you use that promo code, podcast1. He is Evan Silva, the master of all he oversees over at rotoworld.com. Encourage you to check him out at Evan Silva on Twitter. And obviously, a lot of you listen for DFS purposes, you like to play DFS over at DraftKings.com or wherever, and you like Evan's insight, I got to tell you this, though. I don't think there's many places, if any, where there is a more thorough evaluation and breakdown of the games than right here on the Fantasy Feast podcast. Even if you're not into DFS, just Evan's breakdowns are incredible at Evan Silva on Twitter. I'm Ross Tucker. I think a lot of you know that former NFL offensive lineman. If you're new to the show, awesome, excellent, welcome. Played for five teams, seven years, classic journeyman. Love Evan's breakdowns. Love fantasy football because it makes the games even more entertaining and interesting than they already are. And love when you guys rate and review the show. Over at Apple Podcasts, that's huge for us so more people can hear about this show. And by the way, if you rate and review the show, just take a screenshot on your phone. Email me any question you have for Evan. Any question about strategy you've ever had or maybe you're in a keeper league or a dynasty league or whatever, why not ask the number one ranked fantasy football guru in the world, Evan Silva. Evan, let's start Saturday afternoon. Can't wait. Really can't wait for any of these games. I think they're all going to be awesome. But let's start with the Kansas City Chiefs hosting the Indianapolis Colts. What do you got for me on this one? It's definitely a fire the cannons game. Total of 57 by far highest on a pretty high scoring projected divisional round slate. A um, lot of support for the Colts to maybe pull this upset. I can see it, but I think that Kansas City is going to be able to score at will uh, against the Colts. Colts have actually limited their last eight opponents to 14 points per game, which is tremendous and has played a massive role in the fact that they've won, what, 10 of their last 11 or whatever. Um, you know, haven't have one loss since like September, um, but you know they haven't really faced anyone and uh, any offenses of note during that span. Uh, over their last eight games, the best offense in terms of Football Outsiders DVOA that they faced is the Giants, and then over the course of the season, the best offense that they have faced is the Patriots, who we kind of know by now, not that great of an offense. Um, and <clears throat> the only offense that finished top 12 um, inside of the in, inside of football outsiders DVOA that the Colts have faced all season. So pretty, I mean, one of the softest schedules in the NFL 
uh, in regard to just offenses faced. Um, now, they, they've done a great job, um, you know, of, of keeping things in front of them in, in terms of limiting big plays. They're certainly going to work to contain Tyreek Hill uh, because uh, one, one of their foundations is not giving up those big plays. And I think that Travis Kelsey can be the guy underneath to benefit. Um, you know, and that's not to say that Tyreek is definitely going to have, you know, a quiet game. Uh, he faced a similar sort of defense against Arizona um, about, about midway through the season, and, you know, he lit it up. Uh, and he also faced the Ravens later in the season, uh, and he lit them up. Uh, they were high in Football Outsiders DVOA pass defense, and Arizona is a really heavy zone team, just like Indianapolis. So, I mean, he's not, he's certainly not a matchup dependent commodity, but I do think that limiting him, you know, very much like the Colts were able to limit DeAndre Hopkins in each of their last two meetings is going to be their priority in this game. And I think that Travis Kelsey can be the guy that benefits. You know, the Colts gave up the most catches and yards to opposing tight ends over the course of the season. Demetrius Harris is the number two tight end. Um, Chris Conley, Kelvin Benjamin, Demarcus Robinson. You know, it looks like the Chiefs are going to have back Sammy Watkins. So that's going to throw a wrench into, um, you know, what we can what we can expect from all the complementary pieces. Um, I, I don't have any strong takes on them. Maybe I will have by at the end of the week. You can read my column on Roto World, um, the the Thursday article <clears throat> that I do each week. Um, <clears throat> in the running game, you know, Spencer Ware may return. He may return, and um, that would take away. I think that what he would do is he would jump into the Daryl Williams role because I think that Damian Williams has earned the Chiefs' lead back job. He's earned the job. I mean, he earned a contract extension, um, and he's played really, really well. I mean, over the Chiefs' last three games serving in that lead back role, 104 total yards per game, uh, six touchdowns in the last month. I think they trust him. He brings more to the table in the passing game than does Spencer Ware. And also, uh, Damian Williams. Um, I think that this is the best that he's ever looked. And, you know, we've seen him uh, previously in Miami. I thought he was more of a sluggish-looking player. He's looked a lot different with the Chiefs. They've been able to get him in space a lot, which certainly helps. But I think that he's running uh, with a lot more aggression, and a lot more burst since he joined Kansas City. Um, on the other side, Indianapolis, like I said, a lot of teams or a lot of people, a lot of observers believe that they have a chance to pull this upset, and I, I get it. Um, but you also have to remember that Kansas City, their their point allowance is much, much lower at home. You know, they, they allow over 30 points per game on the road. At home, only 18 points points per game <clears throat> but I mean they, they can be beaten and you know I think that one of the the, the avenues the, the the paths for the Colts to pull this upset might be to try to just keep running just stay true stay committed to the running game because I don't think that the Chiefs are going to have any answers for the Colts running game Marlon Mack has been running hot uh, you know more often than not uh, in, in uh, down the stretch of the season this offensive line gets a tremendous boost whenever Ryan Kelly is on the field and 
he kicked butt last week, and, and he's going to be back out there this week against Kansas City uh, after dealing with some late-season injuries. But Marlon Mack, in terms of matchup, not in terms of spot necessarily, because of the Chiefs' lowered point allowance, because of the fact that he's a road underdog. Um, and, you know, if, they, if the Colts fall behind, um, then that's going to be trouble for Marlon Mack because Naheem Hines would likely take on a bigger role um, but in terms of matchup and in terms of what, you know, avenue for the Colts to pull this upset, Marla Mack makes a lot of sense. I think that at the end of the day, though, the likeliest scenario and, and the scenario that is kind of set up by the total, by the spread, is that the Chiefs play with the lead here and the Colts are trying to just keep up with them from a scoring standpoint. And that would bode well for Andrew Luck. That would certainly bode well for Eric Ebron. Chiefs were um, bottom five or, or top five in uh, in fantasy points allowed to tight ends. They did get back Eric Berry, but you know he kind of had a setback late in the season. He did not play in week 17, and I don't think that we can count on him to be effective. Um, so I think that Ebron is in a great spot. You know, always prefer T.Y. Hilton at home or at Reliance Stadium. His his home away from home, uh, just like him playing indoors, um, you know, preferably. But I still think he can have a very big game. I mean, who who on the Chiefs can cover T.Y. Hilton? You know, nobody. Um, Dontrell Inman, again, you know, as we've talked about extensively, clearly established as the Colts' number two receiver. He's going to be a lower cost, solid DFS play. Chester Rogers still in the mix. Um, you know, getting the playing time. And, um, yeah, I think that, oh, I, I, yeah, I think, well, I think that Naheem Hines, again, is very much in the mix as a sleeper. Chiefs top five in both catches and receiving yards allowed to opposing RBs. Look, if you think that the Chiefs are going to going to grab a lead, Naheem Hines is a guy that can ben- that can benefit. We can move on to the next one. Okay, Saturday night, Cowboys, Rams. Cowboys defense is legit. Uh, they played very well. Amari Cooper had a big game. Zeke Elliott had a big game. What do you got for this one? Yeah, I think that whereas most people are on the, um, the the Colts upsetting the Chiefs, I think I'm more on the Cowboys upsetting the Rams. You know, the, the Cowboys do everything well that the Rams are bad at stopping. And the Cowboys are good at stopping everything that the Rams do well. Um, so I think that these teams are very evenly matched. Um, and I think that they, they – and if you're just looking at it from a matchup standpoint, like it's going to be hard for the Rams to stop Ezekiel Elliott. And this dude is playing at a super, super high level. The Cowboys are run-blocking their tails off. And, you know, the, the Rams also were bad in terms of – um, well, they, they were bad in run defense all season long. And that's been a staple of Wade Phillips' defenses over the years. But I don't think he ever wants it to get this bad. Uh, and I think that the, the Cowboys, they're, and they're good about like staying true to their, to their mentality, uh, sometimes when, when it's not even working. Of course, there, there are times that that backfires, and, and they should be better at making adjustments. But they did make a key adjustment at mid-season, and that was 
deciding to make Ezekiel Elliott a focal point of their passing game. So he's going to be hurting the Rams whether they're whether the Cowboys are playing from ahead or playing from behind. Uh, and I think that he's a must-play again in daily fantasy, uh, just as he was last week. Just worth paying up for. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, well, the the Rams have been. So we've talked a lot about about zone coverage and how Dak Prescott and Amari Cooper have tended to play better against man. Um, it's really a Dak thing, though. Uh, Amari Cooper has been pretty good against both. We saw him play a pretty good game against a very zone-heavy uh, Seahawks defense last week. Rams are right in the middle of the pack. They're 14th, 14th most man coverage in the NFL. Um, and they've actually played a little bit more zone when they've had Aqib Talib, which doesn't make sense, but their effectiveness in man has been better. Uh, or Their effectiveness in both man and just their effectiveness overall has been much better with Aqib Talib in the lineup. No surprises there. Um, <clears throat> I do think it's a little bit tougher matchup than last week for Amari Cooper. Cole Beasley dealing with this frustrating ankle injury you know, I wound up playing him a decent amount in Daily Fantasy last week, and he made a big catch early in the game, and I was like, all right, here we go. And But he aggravated his ankle on that play and really wasn't wasn't a big factor for the rest of the game. Um, you know, but he, he's in that same sort of, sort of mix with Michael Gallup, uh, and, you know, no one really stands out as a fantasy play. Rams were pretty good against tight ends, um, and, and Blake Jarwin is – He's just in the mix as an opportunity-based option in Daily Fantasy. But I think that it's clearly a Zeke game, um, and I think that the Cowboys are going to know that too. We're going to be getting Todd Gurley back healthy. And you know the way that you beat the Cowboys' defensive front from a running back standpoint is not trying to run the ball down their throats. It's trying to throw passes to your backs. Uh, they were top 12 in both. Receptions and receiving yards allowed to running backs this season, and a healthy Todd Gurley can definitely exploit that. I think that Zeke Elliott straight up is a better one-for-one -one play than Todd Gurley, um, but I mean it's awfully close. Uh, in the receiver core, Tyler Lockett just was was a magician uh, last week. I mean Tyler Lockett has like some crazy crazy ball skills, uh, and and Russell will and they're you know, their rapport finished really, really strong. Tyler Lockett wound up having an awesome, awesome season as a receiver. Um, but, you know, I, I, I don't think that, like, anyone was, was dominating, you know, from a, from a coverage standpoint uh, in the Seahawks receiver core against Dallas last week. I think they just made plays that were very, very difficult to defend. Um, and I think that that's what they're going to ask of Brandon Cooks, and it's not going to be easy. For Brandon Cooks. I think that the best matchup in the receiver core, as usual, is going to be Robert Woods in the slot. Um, the the Rams did try to morph a little bit into a two tight end team, uh, more as, as last as the the regular season wound down. They dropped the playing time of Josh Reynolds, and so that makes Josh Reynolds more of a question mark. You know, are we going to get more Gerald Everett? I think that he is going to be a real interesting, uh, cheap DFS option. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think we're going to be big play dependent with Brandon Cooks. 
Uh, I think that Robert Woods is always the highest floor, most solid option, also has the best matchup. Josh Reynolds is a question mark. Gerald Everett, an intriguing question mark. Uh, don't love Jared Goff here, but his home splits were massive uh, in 2018. And also, he's probably not going to have a lot of ownership, so he's going to make sense as a DFS tournament play. We can move on to Sunday. All right, Sunday, we've got first up, Patriots, Chargers. I give Gus Bradley a lot of credit, man. He had a, he had a oh, really yeah. good game plan for Lamar Jackson last week. And we had talked about it, Evan, you know, how much of a difference it would make you know, having just gone against them a couple weeks earlier and felt like it made a huge difference. And they also did a great job of getting Ingram and Hurst isolated. I'm sorry, Ingram and Bosa isolated on Hurst, who was the Ravens' weak link. Uh, I know what it's like to be at least perceived to be the weak link and probably being the (laughs) weak link and then putting the best player over you, and it's really not fun. I can remember in 03, first third and long, Evan, against the Giants, they put Strahan over me, and I was like, oh, my gosh. you got to be kidding me. Like... I'm already not that good. It's already hard enough. Please don't yeah. be putting this dude over me. Um, it's pretty funny. So anyway, I give Gus Bradley a lot of credit for that game plan against the Ravens. Yeah, I mean, they, it was an incredible game plan. And, you know, you, you think of how do you defend, like, a high-volume running game? It's like, you, 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 like a, you, I think that the automatic, the intuitive answer is, you defend it with bigger personnel. But that's not really what the Chargers did. I mean, because they played seven defensive backs on you know the vast majority of their of their snaps. They had lighter personnel, but they played with more speed. So it was it was a great, great game plan. I hope that like after the season, um, you know, may, maybe like during Super Bowl week or something. You know, Gus, like someone can really sit down and talk to Gus Bradley about that game plan. And I think that I think we like think I think that the the collective public would learn a lot maybe from him just talking about just talking about the game plan. And, you know, why did he not use big, heavy personnel? You know, what what spurred him to to use more speed? And look, it, it, it seems easier to understand in hindsight because we saw it work. But it's just very, very interesting, you know. And and hey, they they dominated, and they also jumped out to an early lead. I mean, and that really, really helped uh, because the Ravens were never really built to 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 play from behind. And the Ravens shot themselves in the foot too, you know, a lot, a lot of, a lot of turnovers, a lot of penalties. But the defensive game plan stood out from Gus Bradley. What will he cook up this week? Um, we know that the the, the uh, that Tom Brady struggled against the blitz this year, which was not, you know, that's not something that he has struggled against in the past. Um, the Chargers are not a high percentage blitz team, you know. So so will they dial that up a little bit more? I I just I think that you know trying to trying to figure out what the Patriots will do. I think it makes the most sense, but you know, and they they. I think that they've kind of realized that they just they're not dominating the passing game anymore and they can't just do whatever they want to do. But I think that 
from a game plan standpoint, what they would like to do is try to avoid, mitigate the impact of those outside rushers, Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram, and throw the ball a lot and get the ball out of Tom Brady's hands quickly. And that theoretically would set up well for James White. But they really haven't done that as much um, lately. You know, that, that's not really been the way that they've played. They did kind of do it in the Week 17 game against Buffalo, though. I, I just don't know what to think about the Patriots' game plan. So we could just just focus on usage. Uh, Sony Michelle has clearly been the lead back. Oh, he was clearly the lead back in the final month of the season, uh, averaging 16.3 touches per game, but he had zero catches. So, you know, he, he's not like a, a particularly fun play on DraftKings or anything like that. And you're probably going to need a touchdown, if not two, for him to have a big fantasy game. Um, they are home favorites, and that always bodes well for the lead back on the team that is favored at home. Uh, and he's clearly the best play in the backfield. Um, but the, the running back with the best matchup is James White. The Chargers gave up the second most catches and the second most receiving yards to opposing RBs during the regular season. And then last week, uh, Ravens running backs were targeted just three times. Kenneth Dixon uh, had 53 yards on those three targets. Of course, the big play late in the game where he got, he got pretty much got open downfield uh, and ripped off a huge game, uh, which really sparked it. But I mean, this, this was an ongoing trend all season that running backs had success in the passing game against the chargers. The problem is, the James White has been at 10 touches or fewer in four of his last five. Um, and ever since Rex Burkhead came back, and Rex Burkhead even mixed in a 17-touch game late in the season. I believe it was week 15. Um, but ever since he has returned, you know, just James White, he was dominating for the first 12 weeks of the season, basically. And uh, he, he has really gone quiet. I do think that he's going to come out and have a good game this week, but in terms of trustworthiness, you know, it's it's really really diminished from where it was in November. Um, in the pass catcher core, you know, our expectations have been lowered greatly from Gronk. With Gronk, he definitely got, um, you know, he he teased us with that game against the Dolphins, where they really just did nothing to stop him. You know, took really no steps to. To, to really stop him. But other than that, he's been really, really quiet. Um, hasn't really been getting targeted. And you kind of wonder, is he a better, is he more of an asset at this point in the running game than he is in the receiving game? Um, I think that that's become a fair question to ask. And, you know, I think he's best viewed as a touchdown dependent DFS play where, hey, you know, there is a chance he can, he can help you but it's probably going to need to be with a touchdown. Touchdowns are high-variance events, um, and he was not targeted heavily in the red zone this season. So, uh, And then uh, I, I think that in the middle of the field is where the Patriots are going to attack most with the passing game. A lot of Julian Edelman. Hey, Desmond King is awesome. I mean, what a stud. This was another edge that the Chargers had in that game against the Ravens that freaking Desmond King is like flipping field position every time that he returns a punt. I mean, the, the dude is a really, really good football player. He ran four, six, Oh, coming out of Iowa, which in large part explains why 
he fell to the fifth round and, you know, people didn't really understand, uh, you know, what position was he going to play? Was he going to have to move to safety, et cetera, et cetera. He's one of the best slot corners in the league and one of the best punt returners in the league. But he also gives up a lot of catches uh, and he makes the tackle and he, you know, creates turnovers. And so that's why he got on the all pro team. But he gave up a lot of catches this season. And I think that Julian Edelman can have a seven, eight, nine catch game. Um, you know, and, and, and he can be very productive if he gets that much opportunity. I believe he will. Um, you know, Cordero Patterson, they, they, they might try to whip up some stuff with him. He's kind of interesting as on a, on a small slate as a DFS play. You get touches in the return game for sure. You're probably going to get three targets, you know, maybe three to five targets. You might get two to three rushing attempts. So, he's a guy with, with some serious upside and you could play him in conjunction with the Patriots defense. Phillip rivers. I don't think he's played his best football over the last month. Had a tough schedule over the last month, uh, but he, he threw a lot of interceptions and I don't think he played particularly well against the Ravens last week. So, um, you know, not impossible for the Patriots to have a good game defensively and for Cordero Patterson to have a good game in the return game. Um, I think that we will see a little bit of Philip Dorsett in this game. Uh, he's kind of in that same boat with Hogan uh, and Cordero Patterson. Um, but yeah, I mean, that kind of, t- kind of wraps up the Patriots passing game. It's, it's not a real exciting unit. Uh, you know, at, at, at this stage of the season on the other side, I don't think that we're going to see, uh, a big, you know, this this game opened with the lowest total on the div- divisional round slate, and then got bet down. Um, I think it's kind of like a maybe like a twenty-three to twenty game, um, something in that vicinity. And you know, I think that we are going to see. While well, I was talking about this with Mike Clay, who he's the best at doing the wide receiver cornerback uh, projections, projecting matchups. We both agreed that Mike Williams would likely be covered by Stefan Gilmore. That's going to be a tough matchup for Mike. Um, you know, not 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 totally impossible. We did see Stefan Gilmore give up plays here and there, but he was one of the best cornerbacks in the league this season. Um, but I think it's going to be tough for Stefan Gilmore to get you know a lot of you know consistent production against him. And then we kind of went back and forth. I was thinking Jason McCourty with help against Keenan Allen, who's been more slot receiver than not late in the year. Um, and then, but he thought it would be JC Jackson, the undrafted rookie who helped shut down Juju Smith Schuster, uh, late in the season, uh, when the, the Patriots played the Steelers. I'm not sure. I think that either, either way, you know, whether it's McCourty or JC Jackson on Keenan Allen, I think that they're going to be getting help. I still think that Keenan Allen is clearly, the best receiver option on the Chargers. That's not saying much. He gets the most targets. He's the most talented. He's the best route runner. He's got the most trust with Phillip Rivers, etc. But I think it's it's another game where it's like a little difficult to envision any of these Chargers receivers having a truly big game. It does sound like Hunter Henry is finally going to be ready to roll against the Patriots, and that's just going to turn the tight end situation into – um, a three-man ordeal with Virgil Green, with Antonio Gates, and now with Hunter Henry. 
it just has more impact in real life than it does in fantasy. Um, Melvin Gordon, I mean, what a, what a warrior last week, you know. Um, he, he's really banged up. He made just enough plays, I thought, to justify playing him in the first place and bringing him back after the initial injury. Um, it looked like he was going to finish with 0.8 fantasy points. He came back and, and gave people, you know, about as much as, as you could ask for. Um, and, you know, he wound up playing most of the game, uh, and he was effective in the passing game. He was more effective, I thought, on runs to the perimeter than up the middle, um, you know, for, for, for whatever that's worth. Uh, I, he, he's clearly banged up, but he is going to power through it, and the Patriots were not good in terms of run defense this season. They were not good in terms of um, uh, uh, receiving production allowed to running backs. They did get a lot better against the run down the stretch, though. They made some personnel tweaks, started playing Danny Shelton more. Um, so, I mean, it's not like a gimme matchup, but I don't think it's one to be especially afraid of. Uh, and we can move on to the next one. Last game, it's the game that I will be at, Evan, on the sideline for Westwood 1. Really looking forward to it. Rematch from a blowout earlier in the year. It is the Eagles and the Saints. Yeah, and I think this game is going to be a lot closer. Um, you know, just having break, broken down all the matchups, this was the first one that I really dug into, and it was a really interesting game to break down from a matchup standpoint because the Eagles turned out to have like a lot more advantages than I thought that they might. Um, number one, Nick Foles uh, in weeks, uh, since he retook the starting job from Carson Wentz four games ago, over the last month has the quickest time to pass and quickest time to, to attempt in the entire NFL during that four-month stretch, according to Pro Football Focus. He's getting the ball out of his hands in 2.22 seconds. And um, I think the, the old Bill Walsh number was 2.5. So he's, he's beating that by, you know, that you, you want your quarterback to be getting the ball out within two and a half seconds. He's beating that by a considerable margin to the extent that he is leading the NFL in quickest time to get the ball out of his hands. And he's still, you know, getting the ball to Alshon downfield. Um, they're still able to take their shots. Uh, but that is going to really help against the Saints defense that finished top five in sacks, top nine in quarterback hits. Um, and it, it's one of the ways that they were able to sca- escape that Bears game without Nick Foles ever being under a tremendous amount of duress. He took six hits, which is average, and he took one sack, which is great. Um, so, you know, just all these things kind of work in unison. They have a good pass protection unit, and when they're getting the ball out of their quarterback's hands quickly, they're going to be able to deal with strong pass rush units, as we saw against Chicago. We, we saw them face a bunch of teams that were good in terms of pass rush late in the year, and they had success against pretty much all of them. Um, you know, Houston, I mean, Nick Foles threw for 471 yards, four touchdowns, and one interception, you know, so, uh, and he took, I think, I think one sack in that game as well. 
but I, I think that that is going to be the one of the keys to the game, and I think that they're in a good position for that. And it, it it's fine for Alshon. It benefits guys like da- like like Dallas Goddard. Um, it can benefit Ertz, although he had a quiet game. We talked about the possibility that he might have a quiet game in the wild card round. Um, I think that he might have another quiet game here. Uh, and I think that other guys can benefit. I think that Alshon can benefit, especially when they get him matched up against Eli Apple. He's got a, also got a significant size advantage on Marshawn Lattimore. Um, you know, the biggest change that the Eagles made in the wild card round was to play more 11 personnel because late in the season, well, around midseason, they, they were playing 11 personnel just because they felt like they had to because they had acquired Golden Tate. And then they, they scaled all that back and they went back to their 12 personnel, which is two tight ends, Dallas Goddard and Zach Ertz. In the wild card round, to exploit the Bears' lack of a slot corner, um, the Bears lost Bryce Callahan um, in week 14 and were forced to play Sherrick McManus at slot corner, you know, a career special teamer. They bumped up their 11 personnel usage to the extent that even for that, even on that, um, that golden Tate touchdown, Zach Ertz was not even in, was not even in the game. They were in 11 personnel. Zach Ertz was not even in Dallas Goddard was in, um, so, and I think that it makes sense for them to play a lot of 11 again this week against the Saints. Keep, you know, Marshawn Lattimore and Eli Apple on the outside and try to exploit P.J. Williams in the slot. You know, I'm kind of starting to think that Golden Tate, the trade looked terrible for about two months. I'm starting to think that he might be a playoff hero for the Eagles. And I, I think that he's going to have a big game here against New Orleans. His routes run and his snaps were both way up, almost to the point of being a full-time player in the wild card round. I don't think that they're going to back off of that. Um, in the running game, you know, Wendell Smallwood has given them a lot of good snaps late in the season, it, and they whittled it down to a two back, two-man backfield. Josh Adams played one snap last week. Josh Adams played one snap. You know, it's it's crazy the evolution of the Eagles offense over the course of the year. There was a time when it looked like Josh Adams was, you know, behind Zach Ertz, but their their second most stable offensive skill position player. I mean, there was about a month long stretch where Josh Adams was a huge part of their offense. He didn't necessarily do anything, you know, to to take. I mean, he he has fumbled. A, I think he's got two fumbles, or, or may, maybe only one, but it was it was a costly one. Um, but I mean, he hasn't really done anything in particular to play himself out of that position, but his role has definitely declined. Uh, and then, um, for Nick Foles, I I think he's going to have success. I mean, and I think that he is a really interesting daily fantasy play. I think you could play him with golden Tate and Alshon or just golden Tate or just Alshon. Um, on the Saints side, see the Saints, I think are going to roll. It's, it's a little bit similar to the Chiefs-Colts game, where I think that the, the, the Saints are going to roll, and I think that the Eagles are going to have to keep up. But just like the Colts, I think that there's a chance that the Eagles can keep up. Um, and that can lead to shootout possibilities. I mean, this total is, was at, is at 50 and a half. I, I don't think that that's high enough. 
All we need to get there to beat that is 27-24 to beat the 50-and-a-half point total. I, I think that we're going to get 24 from the Eagles. And I, I don't – I. You know, and I, I think that even if they maybe they only get 21, you know, I think that the the Saints can Saints can get us um, can get us 30. So I love the the over on the Saints Eagles game. Um, I think that Drew Brees rolls in this one. Uh, he has been unbelievable at home. He did, you know, his numbers were not as good. They really sagged late in the season, but they had a three game stretch where they played three road games in a row. Um, and then they returned to Pittsburgh and, you know, everything got back on track offensively. Um, Ted Ginn is an awesome DFS play this week, I believe. Um, if you go back and look at one of the ways that it wasn't even necessarily that Michael Thomas had a big game against the Eagles when these teams played in uh, week 10 or 11 or whatever it was, it was Traquan Smith who had 10 for 157 and, uh, we're going to see Ted Ginn primarily in that role. Um, he missed a bunch of time with a knee injury. He only came back for the one game in week 16. Um, but he was second on, among the wide receivers in routes, and they rested him for week 17. I think he's going to be the number two receiver in this game. And, you know, the Eagles play a lot of, like, cover two. And – you know, Allen Robinson in particular, you know, all those all those uh, catches in this uh, down the sideline behind the cornerback in front of the safety. I think that we can see Ted Ginn pulling a lot of those. And I think we can see Michael Thomas pulling a lot of those, obviously. But Michael Thomas, I think, is an obvious, awesome DFS play. Ted Ginn, I've seen, is at the minimum price on some DFS sites. Um, and he's going to be one of the, I think one of the best plays of the weekend. He also. Uh, averaging about 75 yards per game over his last five home games. Uh, he's in the 30s over his last five games on the road with zero touchdowns, three touchdowns in his last uh, five home games. Uh, since he joined the Saints, he scored seven touchdowns. Six of them have come at home. We're, of course, getting him at home here. Keith Kirkwood is a little bit of a sleeper. Um, he was the Saints' primary slot receiver from weeks 13 through 16, then they rested starters in week 17, although it was weird because Michael Thomas played almost the whole game. They didn't play Ted Ginn. They played a lot of Traquan Smith, and they didn't play a lot of Keith Kirkwood. So there, there's not – I you know, can't really say anything definitive about Keith Kirkwood other than I think he's a sleeper. He's big. He's 6'3", 221. You know, he's a big slot, uh, and he ran 4'4", 5 coming out of college. We've seen him – Mix in some plays. I mean, he's made some plays this season. During that week's 13 through 16 stretch, he only averaged three targets per game. But, you know, sometimes that's that's all it takes. You know, give me a big play and a touchdown on another play. And, you know, at right around the minimum on a, on a four-game slate, uh, you know, Keith Kirkwood ends up being worth it. Tight end core, just always always a headache for me uh, to, to try to project – you know, and very often they just cancel each other out. It's Dan Arnold, Ben Watson, Josh Hill, just throwing my throwing my hands up. But I do think that Drew Brees has a big game. Um, the, if you just want to use the spread and the total, the game sets up pretty well for Mark Ingram. If you're going to trust that, I mean, the Saints are are nine and a half point favorites. Um, 
And I think that they're going to probably finish as right around seven to eight point favorites. And in games that the Saints won by two scores this season, uh, Mark Ingram had significantly better statistical splits. Alvin Kamara was pretty pretty consistent across the board in terms of game script, but game script is a big deal for Mark Ingram. So if you think that the the spread and the total are right, the game is going to uh, set up pretty nicely for Mark Ingram. In any event, Alvin Kamara is a great play. Good luck to everyone this week. We'll be back with the um, the conference championship games in week 20. Yeah, and the only point I wanted to make, Evan, to piggyback off of what you said, I already talked to Greg Cosell for tomorrow's Ross Tucker football podcast, and he specifically mentioned that the first matchup, the Eagles doubled Michael Thomas and Kamara, which is why Traquan Smith had such a big game, and he really thought that Ted Ginn was going to have a huge game. He thought Ted Ginn was the guy, too. So that's both of you guys now have mentioned Ted Ginn as kind of the uh, the wild card in this game. So I just wanted to piggyback off of what you said. Love it. Love it. Terrific stuff, as always, Evan. I love it. As I said at the start of the show, there is no thorough breakdown, no more thorough breakdown than what you do, which, by the way, is why I tell people all the time, even if you're not into – fantasy anymore how about just gambling go to betonline.ag use the promo code podcast one you get that 50 percent welcome bonus and you can take what evan said and do some prop bets it's absolutely the way to go betonline.ag you use that promo code podcast one you get a 50 percent welcome bonus and you can clean up on the prop bets thanks to our guy Evan Silva. That'll do it for us. We will be back, of course, next week. We're year-round, dudes. We don't stop this thing. We're year-round because fantasy football never really stops. Other than that, I'm stuffed. We're done. Thanks for listening to the Fantasy Feast Podcast. Make sure to also subscribe to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, Even Money, and the College Draft Podcast, all available on iTunes at RossTucker.com or wherever podcasts can be found.